0: I guys.
1: Thank you so much for these wonderful drinks, <laughs> Pauls. <laughs> but it's so good. It is so good. It is really. This so is good. your brainchild too. I
2: made this one up. This is all. <laughs> it it came from Marlea Told me yesterday. She said, "I have a drink you're gonna make for the show tomorrow." I fucked with everything this. And week. I was like, okay. She said, but I can't tell you what it's called, because if I tell you what it's called, then you'll know my story. So I was like, all right,
1: mm. this takes
2: through the recipe. So she did. And in that included brandied cherries, cherry mm-hmm. soaked in brandy mm-hmm. syrup. So I had to figure out how to make that. She went and bought cherries. I made those. And then as I was researching that, I saw that peaches could be brandied and I had all this brandy mm-hmm. syrup left because it's just brandy and sugar mm-hmm. and you just make a syrup. Mm -hmm. and uh, pour it hot over. And you can them too, but I didn't can these. Mm -hmm. I just put them in the fridge. So then I was like, all right, well, let's put peaches in this. So I made brandy peaches with the same recipe. Mm -hmm. Then today she's like, I'm sorry, I can't do that story (laughs) this week because I don't have this book that I had to get through snail mail oh no,
1: my god we're yeah. like
2: so i'm crossing I my, my fingers <laughs> I, did, I thought the theme of this show was not well researched but i whatever. thought about that just yesterday <laughs> i was like I don't, I don't do well
0: with that anymore i don't so hardcore.
2: i was oh. like okay i'll figure something out so uh, these peaches tasted so good i, I was like oh they're so good and i knew they'd be very sweet and it's brandy so then i put a rye whiskey with it and then some oh, basil rye. and muddled that and then added um just some soda water on top so
1: it's oh just do not even know how good this is uh, patrice's
2: that i delivered in a jar just so you know i delivered like an eight ounce jar that has some crushed peaches in it and the rest is alcohol
1: so and be careful <laughs> this is tea all liquor <laughs> it looks like
2: sweet tea with peaches it was like well, that's what sweet I, tea. I thought
1: i thought at <clears throat> first i thought that it was like a sweet tea kind of drink and then i read the note she's like <laughs> yeah Yee careful it's all
2: liquor when i saw it in the jar i was like i bet she thinks this is already mixed with something like nope
1: this is <laughs> brandy with
2: sugar with
1: whiskey with peaches None and that you. peach brandy syrup mm. that you're talking about would have been like
0: really fabulous on top of that uh peach cobbler that Marlea baked mm. with the ice cream yeah even anything i think this is just what we need to do with all fruits
2: yes i'm gonna make some more (laughs) of this soon and and now that i have just found my happy happiest moment this weekend was i had to go into the store to get something for what was it for these drinks i don't remember but i looked in the frozen section and found briar's lactose-free ice cream and i got it <laughs> I get a wow briar says ch- yes it's briars and it's chocolate <laughs> and vanilla lactose-free
1: wow I that's
2: had awesome. chocolate last night it's the first time i've had a bowl of chocolate ice cream in like five years and i was mm-hmm. so happy i tell you briars
1: is like mm-hmm. one of my favorites my they, too. Have, they make they like are the, the, vanilla bean, yes. the vanilla bean yes mm-hmm. Fryers is like the best ice cream ever if you just look it's just
2: like cream and sugar and
1: oh yeah and and, yeah that's all it it is (laughs) yeah they're not
0: nothing else it's perfect oh yeah courtney Courtney, um explain what what you um tried in this drink before you went for the rye
2: get on a rant i know i just want i just want everybody else to hear we may have (laughs) talked about this before but i'm a tennessee squire And that is a Jack Daniels um, club that you're invited to be. And it's free. It was kind of a way for Jack Daniels during the, during world war II. they tried to keep their, um, they tried to keep their brand loyalty. So they started offering like little freebies to their people who are brand loyal. Long story short, you get a square inch of land, you get a card, you get in a club and you get free calendars and stuff. So I'm a big Jack Daniels drinker, have been for a long time. And, A few years ago, they came out with some different new ones. You know, they were trying to get on Fireball, and then they went with a Honey. And I've known this, but until (laughs) I made this drink tonight, I had forgotten. And somehow, during quarantine, Randy went for our liquor run and brought me Apple Jack Daniels instead of Black Jack. So that was a bad mistake. So I got that in my cabinet. And I have Honey Jack, which I've known I hated. I told the marketing manager, who's a JSU alum, how bad I hated it when it came out. But I thought maybe it'll go well on this drink. So I made a first test run with the Honey Jack, and I absolutely hated it. I hated it. I hate Honey Jack. I'm sorry <laughs> if I get my Squire card revoked. It is awful to me. I <laughs> so is it the just it, the
1: brand, or do you just not like uh, Jack and Honey?
2: It's like, it's, no, I love to make my own hot toddies. Okay. It is the honey flavor in that. Flavor. Fake to me, it tastes like mm-hmm. it's so it's it's a liqueur. I mean, in in Jack's defense, it's not like you know, it's not a whiskey. It's a liqueur, right. so it has that fake sweetness to me that I can't. Especially now that I'm all bougie and make everything from scratch, like I can't take, <laughs> <but> I fake. <laughs> it's so gross at the first. So I left it in a glass and told her when she came in. I was like, "You can try this one." I, I do it. Think this is. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what she drank.
0: <laughs> I I liked it. That was my first one. I just emptied that shit out, but mm-hmm. like, <laughs> it was just funny though because she just stood. She just stood here going, "I hate this stuff. This stuff is absolute mm-hmm. shit. I hate this." I gotta I bring that in, so I'm gonna have to
1: like.
2: Well, you know. I made our flaming. Right. Or the time I set things on fire it mm-hmm. was in that drink, oh, okay. and I remember saying then I made it. <laughs> But I hate it. Like, I...
0: and it almost burned
2: all of us. Yeah, that oh, was the, yeah. no, that was the cruise on 151. Since they don't Cardi, oh, the yeah. yeah, that was rum.
1: Oh, oh. The flame, flaming drinks. I'm in pod and...
0: basement. i
2: know. Oh, good in the
0: pod basement. <laughs> we'll be back one day. I know. When I
2: dropped off the drink, Patrice left us some hydroponic lettuce, and I gave her a jerky purple tomato. So we're yes. all still, still doing neighborly things, even though we can't see each other.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, my hydroponic lettuce. It looks so good. Well, it's it's been kicking ass. I really only expected to run like a month, and now we're going on over two months now with the lettuce production. And it's constantly been given. So
0: awesome. I know. know. Let <laughs> me explore that further. <laughs> what else can we make with hydroponics? Uh, i don't know either i've never heard that you sound like me i like i went out i thought i think this may be because i was out doing like uh, some street cleanup stuff yesterday in town and Mm -hmm. uh like picking up trash and stuff with mask and all that mess but i was jumping in and out of ditches and in the you know in the trees Mm -hmm. and all that shit And i just last night started just sniffling and sneezing and i swear i like yeah. i always when i sneeze i make sure if i don't have my mask that i like i pull up my shirt and i like oh, sneeze i do that cough I sneeze into my all, shirt all, all in that's my what shirt. i was like i started and it gets orange like when it's a bad <laughs> but your shirt down and you're just like going oh, oh it God. stuck to me so um <laughs> yeah you sound like me though i may be a little sniffly during this and i'm trying not yeah. to sneeze but i don't have i guess i don't have a whole lot of pre-show stuff i did have um this morning, I was listening to a podcast, and there was an ad on it for another show that I'm, I haven't started listening to yet, but it sounds amazing. So if you're looking for a new podcast, there's one called Unfinished Deep Ooh. South, Ooh. and it's a mystery podcast about a lynching, Ooh. and I think it's based in Arkansas. And okay. so it's, it's like going back and like digging into the details of what happened and huh. trying to find out who was responsible and all that kind of stuff. So Ooh, wow. it's, it's fairly new. I think there's only two episodes out, but um, if you're looking yeah. for something that Definitely. sounds fascinating to me, so Jump. I'm going to start You know, when you think about,
1: you know, Mississippi, <clears throat> Mississippi burning, uh, you know, all the horrible past as far as lynchings go. I mean, when you think about, you know, the Klan, you think mississippi alabama mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least in my mind i do i don't really think about like georgia or arkansas or louisiana even though you know i mean we're just you know same landmass basically <laughs> <laughs> we're, all the same land we're all the same
0: landmass
1: we're all the same landmass down here but um yeah i've never heard of a lynching in arkansas but i mean obviously that happens Ooh, obviously yeah.
0: It's just so they me, had so much ignorant. worse, too, in Arkansas, whole just genocidal attacks and all kinds of shit oh, in Arkansas.
2: And you're not in defense, but, you know, in national history, it's the right. burning ham civil rights movement mm-hmm. and Mississippi burning like that's national. Right.
0: Yeah. And, and, that's, it. and that's headlines
2: that, you know, that there's so many that go on. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So much history got whitewashed and.
1: Yeah, you know, left in the in that state
2: that Mm -hmm. you know it took mass media coverage to even penetrate into. Right, and and
1: it's the way that yeah that uh, history's you know been taught. It's like I you know I read somewhere that you know kids believe that Martin Luther King came along and marched, and then racism was like abolished. It was oh my god, you know. And it, it's never gone away. It <sighs> has never gone away. Um, but, yeah, need, need some of that homeschooling that's going to be happening.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this. Patrice and I have been making our hard choices Ooh. about the, the fall school year. So we're both going to mm-hmm. be, like, having to um, either homeschool or virtual homeschool our kids for the next semester, at least. Probably beyond probably i would think
1: you'd probably be on too yeah um yeah same tough decisions uh heartbreaking because of the place that we're at and i don't want to go down that road nope (laughs) Mm -hmm. but yes so you know it does give us a chance to control some of the content, mm-hmm. all of the content of what's learned, and and I do like that um to kind of fill in some gaps that have happened. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a shit show. This <laughs> Just a hey,
0: temporary shit show. Temporary shit yeah, show. Yeah, I keep telling myself <laughs>
1: that too. When I'm gonna be around 300 <laughs> people per day
2: starting in uh, uh, 29 days, so no. you know, I keep telling myself. It's gonna be okay don't panic and then i panic yep. and then i go no don't panic
1: it's okay sorry
2: didn't Good mean to time. go there that's, no
1: no no, that's fine no it's it's all the things yeah. that yeah. are having to be like pounded out last minute oh, no. i think that's all the high anxiety for mm-hmm. people in you know that's having to teach uh whatever level you're at it is high anxiety time everybody all the teachers. for everybody um, bless you teachers if you're out there listening yes absolutely bless you um we're totally yeah totally with you mm-hmm.
0: this episode shall be called temporary <laughs> shit show T- <laughs> welcome to the temporary shit show <laughs> <Give them laughs>
2: <my shires>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's get on with the shit show yes um, so mm-hmm.
1: do you have anything patrice you got any no- I do not have any pre-show stuff, but I do have an after talk. Oh, good, because I I'm do not. Kind of mm-hmm, excited mm-hmm. to talk about. It gets into some alien talk. So <laughs> if you would like to hear some of this, become a patron. Join our Patreon page and you can get there through our website at thestrangesouth.com.
0: Mm-hmm. and thanks exactly. to all of our existing patrons we love yes. you you're the best absolutely absolutely and yeah so good deal stay tuned stay tuned <laughs> uh who's first this week do we need to take a, a pee break or anything or are we yeah let's take a quick break yeah and i need more drink. Fit,
1: and i need yeah i need more <laughs> drink <laughs> i do too i don't have any okay break all right break
0: all the peaches for me (laughs) millions of peaches peaches for us lots of brandy peaches
1: sorry i just did that throat burp thing where (laughs) your
0: mouth is closed but burps in your throat (laughs) i'm never really sure what to do with those like do you ignore it or do you just like do you say excuse me or do you just Pretend like somebody else did it. I don't know. I never, yeah. I can never decide.
1: Yeah. I usually just apologize. I just apologize in general. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm for sorry. apologizing so much. I'm
0: sorry for my body <laughs> making weird noises. Mm. That's what my stomach makes weird noises all the time. Oh, so I'll be sitting watching a movie with folks, and like, mm-hmm. I'll just—it'll sound like I'm just like compulsively oh. farting or something, you know. And I'm like, I, I just want to constantly turn around and say, like, I'm not though. Like, it's You're not. Right.
1: It's, it's some weird shit. In. There's nothing leaking right now, I promise.
0: <laughs> it's like I may blow up like a balloon, but you know. right, I don't yeah. Care
1: about, but yeah, the throat burp happens more
0: really than anything. Yeah. Yep. Oh. I get that.
1: I bought this toy for how big is it?
0: that's as almost as big as the zucchini that you have on your front it's porch.
2: That fucking zucchini. <laughs> Patrice, it I'm is. not lying. It's like a foot and a half long. I just say two feet long and it's like double the <laughs> circumference of a baseball bat, maybe triple. <laughs> and for for not for the recording, but my neighbor goes, That looks like a big dildo And I said, Good God, I hope <laughs> not. What the I'm talking about. <laughs>
0: Like, I put that one back on the shelf.
2: Um, To each her (laughs) is their own, but um, I'm like a full (laughs) 24 inch circumference or some shit. I swear to God, I was like, that's like a child. That's like a child's head for sure. Oh my God.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The picture I I posted. For like after,
2: after show. Oh, yeah. The picture I posted just didn't do it justice. (laughs)
0: no you You can need
1: comparison Mm -hmm. you need something to like put
0: put a real dildo next to it next (laughs) time
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's what i'll do (laughs) hold on i gotta edit
2: our post okay that's what i'm doing i'm not ignoring y'all so go ahead but so this is episode 68 correct I put the wrong episode
1: This, this is episode 68 and did we decide because we are um come we're dividing everything up to seasons i believe this is the beginning of a new season is this the beginning of a new season
0: okay i think so either this how, week or last week was how
1: do you know
2: by the number
0: it's we 13 picked, episodes
1: we just picked a oh. number yeah <laughs> <Like> number 17 <laughs> exactly and we just, yeah we just said every 13 episodes it's gonna be a season because it roughly cuts everything into quarters roughly <clears throat>
0: So welcome to season possibly 5. 5
1: six? <laughs> six. 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 Welcome six.
0: to season maybe 6. Hold <laughs> on. <Let's know>.
2: 68 <laughs> divided by 13 equals 5.2. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> 5.2. Season-
2: oh,
1: welcome to Welcome <laughs> season <laughs> 5.2. <laughs> what you got for us? <laughs> oh man. I hate the talk about taxes. Uh, yeah, but sorry. I love <laughs> that's all right. I love the talk about booze. <laughs> um and Achie. honest and honestly, I like, I really have bartender Courtney to thank because when we first started this podcast, I hated Jack Daniels. <laughs> oh. Hated. Like it was clean. I didn't like the taste, the flavor. And a lot of it has to do is that I used to drink a lot of it in my uh, younger years mm-hmm. and got sick off of it. Yeah. And and plus, I didn't know how to, like, I was drinking it straight, so I mm. didn't know how to mix it with things. The only thing I ever mixed it with was Coke, mm-hmm. and I just didn't like that flavor back then. However, Jack Daniel's Raw, Courtney mm. introduced cool. me to, and I love it. I could drink that all day. <laughs> That's so good, and I'm so thankful for you introducing that Yay. to me.
2: Courtney but is often
0: th- credited with making people drink more. <laughs>
2: so <laughs> y'all know i'm it always is. taking notes who could be the next squire patrice you're coming up uh, in so
1: <laughs> okay i'll line up my jack bottles <laughs> take a picture
2: yeah okay tell me your loyalty so, we'll see
1: <laughs> so today or tonight i am going to be talking about Uh, The History of Moonshine and the Southern Moonshine Mamas. Yeah. Oh my God, amazing! (laughs) All right. So moonshine, the word moonshine has been around forever. Not necessarily related to the drink, but back like in the 17th century, 1700s, around there, Britain adapted the word moonshine or moonshining to mean like a job or activity that was done late at night. So it's usually like something that you do at night in the moonlight. It's secretive, maybe illegal, you know, (laughs) kind of things. This is where the origin of the name comes from. However, moonshine has also been known as branch water, white lightning, Bathtub gin, kick Oh, don't know uh, that. Yeah, happy Sally. Ruck- <laughs> ruckus juice, joy juice, <laughs> hooch, panther's <laughs> breath, Mountain Dew, hillbilly pop, skullcracker, bush whiskey, stomp, mule kick, cat daddy, cool water, <laughs> old horsey, <laughs> rock gut. Yeah. Wildcat, <laughs> Rise and Shine, Splow. Splow? As, as it's, it's gonna explode. slow. <laughs> that, like, that sounds like a euphemism <laughs> for something entirely different to me. <laughs> Corn liquor, and then just plain old. So, how it's made. Obviously, there's many different recipes for Moonshine. However, I found this. Oh, let me give credit first to all the places because y'all, there's so much fucking information on Moonshine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I got this information from the website moonshiner28.com from Ken Burns' three-part uh, yeah. documentary, which I watched. I didn't re-watch it for this, but I watched it way back then. I don't remember shit. But It's a big um, commitment to watch any
0: Ken Burns, it, I think. <laughs> like,
1: it is. It's three-part
0: Ken Burns is, is a commitment. It's like a year uh, in, of your life you're dedicating there.
1: Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. And definitely not taking notes. So <laughs> NPR, uh, All Things Considered, did yeah. an interview Uh, With Melissa Block. I love her. And let's see. Website, homestead.org. There was an article called Hooch in the Hell Raisin, Women Bootleggers. That was by Catherine Lugo. And then How Stuff Works, basically. And that's some of the... I think I pretty much hit everything that I use for my research. All right, so how it's made. So there is actually a... Unbeknownst to me, because I am literally over 20 years without cable. So I haven't had cable in such a really long time. Mm -hmm. There's a discovery show like reality TV called Moonshiners that has been going on since 2011. So a really long time. Cool. And one of the guys that is on there is named Jim Tom, and he's a local North Carolina moonshiner. Real quick, before we get into this, because I have so many little side stories. Jim and um, he's
2: in North Carolina. I know. Okay. I think.
1: I yeah, know he's, he's is, a North yeah. Carolina moonshiner. And I looked up his picture, and he looks exactly what you would picture in your head that <laughs> an Appalachian moonshiner would look like. I mean, he is a caricature of himself. And that really reminded, that kind of like sent off a little side spark about this woman who... Lives in Columbus, Mississippi, where I'm from, and, and it's all about southern characters, right? It's like you know, of these personalities that you run across in the south who are literally caricatures, yeah. traditional southern, which you think of, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're just like a little weird, and but everybody accepts them kind of just that thing. And that's the way the, the Jim Tom felt to me, and that reminded me of this lady. In Columbus, name Edwina Williams. Well, in Columbus, everybody knows Mother Goose, and Edwina Williams is Mother. Goose. You can walk around. You'll find her in schools, reading books at the library. You'll find her downtown shopping, and she's always dressed up in full Mother Goose. (laughs) And she is always in character. I have never run into her where she is not in character or not dressed up. I may have run into her once later on where she wasn't dressed up but she was still in character and she's one of those just wonderful personalities that you just, I mean, Columbus, that's, they have, they live with mother goose. Mother goose is part of the community. And she loves children. And anytime that she sees children, like when she's out and about like grocery shopping or whatever, she'll start singing (laughs) and she's just got this lovely bubbly personality and she never breaks character. That's amazing. It is amazing and there's tons of photos of her because everybody loves her so much and I mean she does all these events every Christmas. She dresses up like Mrs. Santa Claus and she helps with you know the Santa stuff but she's always in Mother Goose personality. So this is you know our thought of her and I'm, I'm gonna have to do a show on her because mm-hmm, she's, she's just she's absolutely incredible but anyway getting back to jim tom talking about how moonshine is made of course there's you know several different ways to do it but basically he says you fill your barrel on up with water put about 60 pounds of sugar in it and a gallon of sprout malt corn and that's what well, he says that's just sprouty corn to make it work <laughs> and cover up After about four days, it'll be ready to pour back in the still and run through. The mash is then heated up to about 175 degrees in the pot where the vaporization occurs and it flows into what's called a thumper or a doubler, which acts as a second uh, distillation. Without the doubler, you have have what you call a singling's run, which requires it to go through an entire distillation a second time to double the proof. The vapor is then vented into a coil where it cools and condenses into the shine and it's ready to drink or sell. Stills are usually constructed in remote areas near water sources because the running cool water helps to do the condensation or condenses the vapor into liquid. And the thumper is named a thumper because that's how it sounds when it's in production. And they said some stills were actually made on wagons so that they could be easily relocated. Today the legit stills obviously are indoors. So this dovetails nicely, the history of moonshining dovetails nicely into my cave people conversation Mm. that we had because a lot of the moonshiners took to the caves to hide or to do their business of distilling moonshine because again, illegal Mm -hmm. moonshining goes way back as far as production of hold on got a drink in 1791 just right after the birth of this country there was something called the whiskey rebellion mm-hmm. and it was a result of congress under president george washington laying down a tax on alcohol so moonshine is a loose even though we think about it as like the distilled corn liquor it's kind of a loose term that's used for a lot of liquors so it's kind of like how as southerners i grew up calling all soft drink coke Mm -hmm. It's kind of of the same thing. So they put this tax early on, on alcohol. And most of the distillers at this time were farmers who lived in remote areas. And so they had a difficult time getting their grain to market. So when they had a surplus of grain, they don't want to just let it rot. So instead they distilled it. And this is what became known as like the Whiskey Boys. So the Whiskey Boys were in Pennsylvania, Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina, and they protested this tax and sometimes it got pretty violent. Tennessee and Kentucky at this time did not exist, however, if you were being bugged for taxes, um, a lot of the moonshiners actually moved down to that area that was not a state yet as a safe haven so that they could continue production. And so the people that moved down there weren't part of this protest. So the protest did turn violent in 1794. There became like an armed rebellion and one of the tax collectors tax collectors actually had his head shaved his horse stolen and then was tarred and feathered um so after the rebellion killed him president washington responded with bringing in the militia to the countryside to arrest and to it says detain the unruly rabble Mm -hmm. so you know they bring in the military to stop this rebellion however everybody was drinking the moonshine and so (laughs) it was you know a very unpopular act obviously not only from the farmers who were producing the moonshine but from the people who were drinking it Mm -hmm. and so it, it was so unpopular that it became like detrimental to the federalist party so in 1803 the whiskey tax actually was repealed So, you move move on down the road, um, talking about Civil War, and again, the federal government put in a whiskey tax to raise money, I guess, for the war itself. I didn't really get much into the Civil War and the whiskey tax, but they taxed it uh, so high that it was like eight times the cost of the liquor itself. So again small distilleries began hiding in the backwoods to avoid yep. taxes and at this time the revenue bureau of the treasury department transformed their tax collectors into policing authorities and this is where we have the rise of moonshiners and revenuers. Revenuers yeah. A couple of decades, a few decades later, January 16th 1920, the 18th amendment was ratified which was a big victory to the teetotalers and churchgoers. However, Mm-hmm. I know plenty of <laughs> churchgoers Boom. that are not teetotalers. So I want to amend that sentence and say it was a big yeah. victory for the teetotaling Tea-t- church. Yeah.
2: The teetotaling um, churchgoers.
1: Yeah. And this meant restriction on sales, transportation, importation, and uh, exportation of alco- any alcoholic beverage. Of course, when you do something like that, then. They thought that this would like totally do away with alcohol sales and the usage of alcohol forever. And all it did was made it completely more popular (laughs) and the consumption and the making of alcohol like skyrocketed. Yep. And this is where we start having bootleggers and speakeasies of the Mm twenties. And one of the bad, I mean. It was all bad. Mm-hmm. But one of the bad things about prohibition also is that it l- lowered the standard of quality. So they didn't, have, they didn't have standards. They didn't have like health, whatever, mm-hmm. inspectors, you know, keeping everything drinkable or safe. Mm-hmm. And so they were trying to produce in order to keep it with demand. Distillers were producing as much as fast as they could. So it lowered the quality. Plus, the they substan- helped with cr- crime, organized crime rising,
2: too. Oh, and, oh, yeah. I mean, because and violence. Well, <laughs>
1: well, instead of the government coming in and being basically the landlord, then the organized crime came in. Mm-hmm. And it's basically the landlord over, landlord's not the word I'm thinking of, but the overseer yeah. of, awesome. of the stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. So one
1: organization to the other. Let that woman take a drink. Sorry. Yeah, you
2: know I <laughs>
1: gang- 20s gangsters, though. Prohibition, they go hand mm-hmm. in hand. Right. <laughs> the substandard shine was termed mean whiskey, and you could seriously, like, have injury or even death from drinking it. Aye. There was a medical problem at that time known as Jake Leg Syndrome, and it was caused because you could... If you drank something, a drink called Jake, you could be partially paralyzed in your feet or legs. Oh, damn. And it was a known thing. So it's like if you drank it, you knew you were running that risk. Because of the underground nature of the businesses, health concerns obviously were ignored. Contaminants, bacterial, poisonous additives were sometimes a potential danger for all the customers so you were Mm -hmm. literally taking your life into your own hands if you didn't have a reputable moonshiner that you were purchasing from Mm -hmm. the term moonshine came from the british 17th century and it became known like the person was a moonshiner person that ran the steel there was another term that went with it called bootlegger and this term came from early colonists who hid the liquor literally in their boots in order to smuggle it to the Native Americans. Oh, wow. Now, while they were having to smuggle booze to the Native Americans, I'm not really sure. That's something I didn't read up on. Maybe somebody can tell us about that later, or maybe I can read it, or maybe not. <laughs> um, so, you know, they, they put it in their boots. A little sidebar story reminds me of a student i had at mississippi state and his name was rob and he was like this really tall guy and one day he came to class in flip-flops and the flip-flops he had were a flip-flop flask
0: Oh Uh,
1: and he was showing everybody of course he didn't have booze in it at the time but he was just like saying hey Look what I got, you know, and it has a little flask in it. And I was like, "Why do you want to drink out of your shoe?" I was like, right? That's the worst, worst invention ever." But I was thinking, <laughs> if that would have been, if if people would have been wearing flip flops back in the day, like way back then, then instead of bootleggers, they would have been known as flip floppers. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but anyway, that just made me giggle thinking about Rob and his flip flop flask. So you got moonshiners, you got bootleggers. And when you read anything about moonshiners and, you know, you watch the documentaries and the shows and stuff, and it's mostly a male-dominated field. Mm -hmm. However, I think it's pretty short-sighted of them, obviously, because the majority of bootleggers were actually women.
0: Oh, a majority. A
1: majority. They say it could be even as much as five women to every one guy was a bootlegger. Oh, my God. Here's why there was like such a major advantage of women working in moonshine because first of all, moonshine was much harder to detect on a woman and they were least likely to get arrested simply because it was illegal to search women in those days. The only thing we had going for us. (laughs) Basically the only thing, right? (laughs) So the, you know, alcohol smuggling syndicates were pretty much mostly female and they would just hide their hooch in their aprons like behind Mm -hmm. their apron so they could walk around with it all day long and it was illegal (laughs) for them to be searched there should have been a lot more women moonshiners because of this there may have been more women moonshiners than we know about just nobody talks about them -hmm. it makes
2: me think of your story of robert johnson and his songs about the woman with her hiding her (laughs) yeah yeah i I don't remember the term but you know what i mean like the double entendre of hiding in her apron like
1: keeping it it was it
0: was her it was something sack right yeah 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 Yeah,
1: absolutely (laughs) yeah i'll have to look that back up yeah um women being smart Entrepreneurs and badasses as we are, to <laughs> full advantage of this. So they would hide it on their person, and they would even some even taunted law officers, like to try to search them, even though the law officers couldn't. Oh, that's awful! <laughs> I know, right? It also worked in their favor with juries if they did get caught, because in that day they were loath to convict a woman of the crime of bootlegging because they just refused to believe that a woman could do such a thing. <laughs> And obviously, they were least likely to suspect them of practicing the craft of moonshining. And obviously, history tells us, although not as often, I'm sure, as it happened, that it did happen. I think the reason that we don't hear as much is because women are can keep a low profile, and they're not confrontational. Mm-hmm. So they're not out there being machismo and, you know, doing stupid
0: shit. Showing That's- off their dick
1: showing off the dick or, or their zucchini, whatever, if they did get called, there's instances of a woman or women getting called and the law not believing them because they didn't really think that a woman would be able to run a steal. So they would always like blame the husband or blame the brothers or their fathers, you know, when it was a woman running the steal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Many times, male bootleggers would hire women to ride along with them. They were less likely to get stopped if a woman was in the car with them. And again, very like if you did get caught red handed, punishment was very light. One of the punishments was being ordered to go to church every Sunday for two years. (laughs) Oh wow, <laughs> that's, that's pretty bad, actually. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that sounds horrible to me. But I'm being anyway. bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. <laughs> don't, don't, apologize. don't apologize. We've we've all been to that that church service. That, anyway, <laughs> my childhood, I was there. <laughs> so one famous hooch making grandmama was known as Maggie Bailey, the Queen of Mountain Bootleggers. And Maggie is pretty, I mean, any of these characters running stills at this time are pretty, especially women, are just pretty interesting characters, Every, everything that I've read about them. Uh, but Maggie started making moonshine when she was 17 in Clovertown in Kentucky, which is like southeast Kentucky. And it really became like her life's work. And she started it to make ends meet and clovertown the whole community absolutely loved maggie and she was this woman who would wear a house dress and an apron and was like everybody's grandmother even when she was taken to court she was in a house dress and an apron it's like mm-hmm. that was her her uniform so, Maggie was the type of person that would buy food for other families if they were having a hard time. She helped send people's children to college in her community. She was the Dolly Parton of the <laughs> community, basically. And she would always, like, when bad things would happen or people would do bad things, she would say, I'm just glad I'm an old bootlegger. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Maggie was convicted in the 40s and served about 18 months in federal prison, but that didn't stop her. Uh, In the 30s, 40s, and 50s, she was selling moonshine, which was untaxed in the 60s, 70s. 80s and
0: 90s. Oh my God! Up
1: until she was 95 years ah. old, she sold moonshine. And the reason she, it was still like highly illegal even in 95 is because the county that she lived in, Harlan County, is a dry county. And so it's illegal to sell any type of alcoholic beverage, but she continued to sell it and was never convicted.
0: And oh my I, god she's amazing
1: I, I know well i used to live in a dry county and it really it just means you have to drive to the other county to buy your liquor which yeah, is really inconvenient I, yeah like it solves nothing i never it understood solves nothing is, dry really county is a dry county still uh-huh. where i grew uh-huh.
2: up is still a dry county <laughs>
1: I, oh yeah it's just ridiculous because i remember like coming home from work and getting behind a guy driving the tractor down Ooh. the highway And he had the beer open and was driving his tractor (laughs) on the highway. Yep. And I just had to pass him. And I'm like, y'all are solving nothing. Nope. Mm. Ettawau County just got my daddy's money when he took us to the beer store. Mm -hmm. That was a Mm -hmm. weekend excursion. Losing taxpayer money. (laughs) To the beer store. So anyway, to get your moonshine from maggie you would have to pull to the back of the house and then of course being a southern lady she's going to have to start up a conversation with you and find (laughs) out who your peoples are if she doesn't recognize you Mm -hmm. so she'd ask you who your mom and dad were was if she couldn't like remember your face she never sold to children and she didn't sell to alcoholics which she called drunkards for multiple decades until she was 95, she sold shine and alcohol. She never drank and she lived to be 101 years old and <gasps> died in 2005.
0: Oh my God, Maggie,
1: that's the best. Another just as colorful character uh-huh. that was a moonshiner from Franklin County, Virginia was Willie Carter Sharp, and she is known as the Rum Running Queen. In 1928, she was 26 years old and already an outlaw, and this was during Prohibition. She ran bootleg liquor across the Virginia borders into other states, and many times there were car chases with police shooting at her tires, (laughs) and that's when the police actually dubbed her the Rome Running Queen. Between 1926 and 1931, she hauled over 220,000 gallons of moonshine of her homemade moonshine and loved every minute of it she was a fucking spitfire and adrenaline junkie like she loved the car chases (laughs) and when she finally got called she like mesmerized everybody all the spectators at her trial not only with her stories of like the chases and stuff but she had diamonds in her teeth I mean, she was just like she had a grill one. in 1920. She's a regular like OG, right? She's OG for sure. OG. Okay, so she did actually get caught. And there's a book, there's a moonshine book, and I'll put a link to it that I saw um, that they were marketing on Facebook. And the the guy was talking about Willie Sharp. And somebody replied to him, and he was like, Yeah, my dad used to live in the same neighborhood as them. And he said, that they would shoot like the cops would come and she would back out of the driveway right when the police were there right in front of them where they would have to stop and then go really slow (laughs) weaving back and forth (laughs) so that the uh, runners the people working the still could actually run or the people that were actually bootlegging could actually run away and not get caught (laughs) <laughs> so she sounds like a very colorful character and and that adrenaline rush and I think that's what a lot of people that were in bootlegging that were just you know not necessarily doing the still stuff but they were you know running the moonshine if that adrenaline rush really spoke to them and This is something that came up in the prohibition, I think, how moonshiners, just like the run, running, rum, running queen, that she learned how to drive fast, learned how to handle herself in a car. And so these people that were doing this on their off days, they would actually like race against one another because they all souped up their cars. (laughs) And this actually led to the creation of NASCAR. No, so yeah, moonshine and NASCAR basically go hand in hand. It was actually a moonshiner that gave the seed money to Bill France to start NASCAR. So, you know, <laughs> NASCAR comes from moonshining here, and it, it totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, fast cars to get away. Mm-hmm. Fast cars to get away. They were like really pushing the envelope of what could be done with the car mm-hmm. in order to mm-hmm. supercharge them. They reworked suspensions so that they could carry extra weight in the trunks while going at high speeds. And in comparison to whatever car that the revenuers had, they outpaced them every time. So the only way that moonshiners really were ever caught as if they were caught on foot because mm. there was no way they could be caught in their cars <laughs> their favorite engine was a Cadillac ambulance v8 engine which happened to be like the biggest engine at the time one of the most famous like NASCAR moonshiner well, actually was the son of a moonshiner, was Junior Johnson. So Junior Johnson was 14 years old when his dad hired him to run moonshine in North Carolina. And he spent a lot of time getting chased by the Reveneers. He got caught, had to serve like 11 months in federal prison. But then he just like easily split off from doing moonshine runs and because of his driving skills and his knowledge of fast cars and how to make fast cars, he became like a racing legend in NASCAR and is in NASCAR Hall of Fame. Oh, cool. Even though he did go to federal prison, like in 1983, President Ronald Reagan parted him from his moonshine conviction. <laughs> All right. Oh, so after Prohibition, World War II... In the 50s, moonshine was very much prevalent still in the South. And like in the 1960s, there's like 72,000 stills were destroyed by the federal agents in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, and Mississippi. Basically all the Southern states. Mm -hmm. Liquor making was still highly illegal. Even now, people are being arrested for making white liquor. And the reason you can be arrested for making moonshine is because moonshine comes in two flavors, which is legal and illegal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the main difference is one is taxed and one is not. So that is the main difference between making illegal and making legal moonshine is how much money you give the government. Mm. The federal tax on a gallon of whiskey is $15.50. So it is... It is legal to own a steel. You can own a steel and you can probably buy one off of Amazon. Who knows? I am a check. But you can buy one online for less than $800. If you want to produce any alcohol in your steel, even for your own personal consumption, you have to have a federal permit. Under the alternative fuel laws, if you can make like up to 10,000 gallons a year of ethanol, <laughs> which you can power... Engines with, but you can't drink. <laughs> oh. So yes, you can still have a still, but um, making a still legal is very difficult because because of all all the red tape you have to go through.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even though we're like in a time period of like artisanal things, you know, popular mm-hmm. home brewing kits, people are wanting to do the popular new home brewing underground thing with moonshine, like craft moonshine make it in small batches, which you can't really do because again, it's just, it's not financially feasible. So is it Uh, like you
0: can't do it because you can't sell it? If you you did it for yourself and you just happen to have a ton of money, you could do it for yourself? No, No. you can't do it even for yourself. You can't even do it for yourself. You, You
1: can create it and then you can use it for fuel, but you cannot personally drink it. However, again... But that's different than
2: beer. No, and that's wine. different in beer. Yeah. Right. So it's the liquor that makes the difference. It's the percentage well, it's, of
1: alcohol, right? It is, I believe. So we can make, homebrewers can legally make beer and wine for personal use. Mm-hmm. Distilling liquor in an unlicensed steal is a felony punishment with a $10,000 fine and up to five years in federal penitentiary. Well, that's just stupid. Yeah. So, Yeah. So the difference between beer, wine, and liquor, obviously, it's money.
0: Oh, Uh, that's so stupid.
1: Tax money to be specific. So a bottle of whiskey is taxed more than $2, while at the same time, the same bottle of wine is taxed about 20 cents and the same uh, like a can of beers taxed five cents. So like Courtney was saying, uh, the amount of percentage uh, of alcohol has a
0: percentage. lot to do with the
2: licensing. I know.
1: Right.
0: For. But at the tax decision is 100% comes from like a moral oh, yeah. decision. It's oh, yeah. like we're taxing oh, your vices definitely. just like they no, always do. Right.
1: And I don't, it's not even a moral decision. It is, it's the same reason why we probably will never have 100% legal marijuana. Exactly. It's like, it's like the government cannot control it. Exactly. So if you do want to obtain a license, you're going to have to go through a ream of paperwork and spend about $20,000 in order to just have a backyard distiller. So Oh my most, god. Most people don't do that.
2: That's why so uh, many establishments don't play with their liquor license like it is yeah. a no joke to have the ABC board come in on you. Right. Right.
1: But like they don't play. <laughs> so other than just, you know, having, you know, The feds come after you hard for having your own still. There are some dangers of moonshine. You really can go blind. Jack leg. Uh, Yeah, Jake leg. Uh, leg. (laughs) Unscrupulous moonshiners used to add lye to their brew to speed (gasps) up fermentation. Moonshine has been made inside car radiators before, which means that lead got into hooch. In the 60s, the federal government, because so many people were being poisoned, they started this Poison Moonshine publicity program and hired Louis Armstrong to record a radio spot warning people of the hazards of backwoods booze.
0: Oh, wow. I'm
1: going to have to find that. Yeah, totally. I did a quick
0: search, (laughs) and I haven't, haven't
1: found it. But you really have to be careful. And the thing is, it's like the first liquid out of the steel is often unfit and sometimes poisonous Mm. and so you know you'd have to have like a taster who is actually risking their health however old Jim Tom steps in (laughs) and says (laughs) that he discards the first quart of his new steel just to clean it out and make sure that it's all good he's like after that it's all good and so that is my history of moonshine and southern mamas well done
2: i'll tell y'all i think we could be those moonshine southern mamas when it all falls <laughs> apart
1: oh y'all sh- don't
2: don't, don't worry that. the whole grid will be down by then no one will be no.
1: you know my great-granddaddy <laughs> was a moonshiner that got <laughs> shot by a revenue right oh mm-hmm. i knew you said it was a moonshiner and he got shot oh he did he got killed by a revenue um and i have pictures i've got to find them i have pictures of his old steel that he set up in the woods like uh i need to find those i do not physically have them i may have to talk to some cousins but i know they exist because i remember going through them yeah and seeing pictures of his still running oh i would love Um, to see them yeah, yes. that's good heritage right there i like it, like <laughs> it. great granddaughter of the moonshiner that's a good All right. story you want to take a break
0: okay yes i have to pee yeah okay me too. back in a sec
2: man george washington yeah george him.
0: washington is buff you're like, hi. I did. I- <laughs> the sexiest of the founding fathers.
2: Ooh, I got a new <laughs> Washington fetish now.
0: With his shiny bald Washington head. Monument?
2: Shiny, bald oh, I see. Washington Monument. Oh. I see. Crazy. Like my zucchini. Oh, right. <laughs> I like it.
1: <laughs> We're totally keeping all of that in there. <laughs> uh, go for oh, it. my God.
2: <laughs> he is hot. That was
0: great. Mm. Well, this isn't going to be nothing after all that, but oh this is gonna be
2: fun oh
0: (laughs) uh so so i have a story that it crossed my radar when i first did the james leininger case the the little boy that was like said he was a reincarnated fighter pilot right okay and it was because i remember being completely floored that there was a division of parapsychology at the university of virginia because i was like oh my god like people at universities study stuff like this and so I started kind of looking around for other like parapsychology organizations and found multiple ones across the south and I found um a couple of like kind of poltergeist stories that were related to one researcher and so this was one of those so it's in 1984 excuse me that was a real burp not just a throat burp (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> um <laughs> also i got ritz crackers down my shirt so i'm just going <laughs> <be itching, laughs> my boobs this whole time um <clears throat> so in october 1984 william roll got a call at his house in chapel hill in north carolina from an indianapolis newspaper reporter um the guy's name was mike harden and he'd been referred to roll by the duke university parapsychology lab oh, okay um, because Roll was the director of the Psychical Research Foundation, which was a privately funded kind of offshoot of Duke's organization, um, so North Carolina is kind of a hotbed of this stuff. Just so you're aware, <laughs> but um, okay, Mike, Mike Hardin told Roll that he had seen he had experienced something that he couldn't explain, and he was asking for Roll's help. So the year before this, like Hardin had interviewed a couple in uh, Columbus, Ohio, named Joan and John Resch for an article about foster care for the Columbus Dispatch newspaper. And that's the paper that Hardin works for at this time. So the Resches had fostered 250 kids um, over a bunch of years. They were really well respected. Wow. in I know, like lots, right? They yeah. were really, really well respected in the city. Um, and so he was doing a profile on them. And they had recently called him again because these weird things were happening at their house and they didn't know what to do. So this is how the Indianapolis Star described what was happening at the Rush House. And my sources are pretty widespread, but the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Indianapolis Star, the Columbus Dispatch um, Murderpedia, Vice, Unsolved Mysteries, um, the magazine The Atavist, which I'd never heard of, but I'm going to be looking at again. Um, so those are the primary sources, but this was from the Indianapolis star on Saturday morning, March 1st, 1984, all the lights in the Rush's house seemed to turn on all at the same time. And then Joan Rush, who was home with her kids started watching the dials on the washing machine start to move around really fast all on their own. The clocks on the wall started racing. Um, they heard the water faucets all turn on upstairs at the same time. And nobody was upstairs. So the husband, John, got home from running some errands. And he's like, this is some weird power surge. You know, I'll call, I'll call the power company. So the power company comes out, sends two guys. They don't find anything wrong with the power. Um, and when they left, all the weirdness started back up again. The rushes claim that they saw a television and a radio that continued to play even after John took the cords out of the wall. Um so nope. you know, John's like, Okay, I called this electrician, a guy named Bruce Claggett that John knew from work. And um Claggett is fifty four years old. He's a churchgoer, he's a he doesn't believe in anything supernatural, paranormal that's not, you know. <laughs> christianly supernatural um but he um so he initially kind of just assumed something had gone haywire with the switch box at the house um he didn't believe what john was saying about the tv and the radio keeping playing and all this stuff so um but um you know he started going on and and claggett's walking around the house realizing the lights do keep turning on and off and he can't stop them um so claggett like he's walking around the house trying to figure out why the lights are turning on. And then the garbage disposal cranks up on its own. Ugh. Nobody's near the switch. The kitchen oh. light comes on. There's nobody in the kitchen. So he decides that, okay, this is where I'm going to test this. I'm going to put tape over all the light switches and see what happens. It didn't or how solve... about Yeah. How about just hit the breaker? Yeah. Well, he was, I guess, cause he was trying to figure out like, I guess the switches were, were flipped also so okay. he was like so he put they put tape there and then the lights kept on switching on and the tape would vanish oh. so um you know i mean the whole unplug still going on was enough for me
2: yeah Yeah. (laughs) right electricity doesn't just do that yeah
0: right so after he left things continue to get weirder like a baby's crib without the baby in it thank god like a doll baby's crib leaps into the air um peace out placemats start flying chairs start shifting around the table an end table just flips end over end through the living room a champagne glass comes out of the dining room and smashes against the stove um and at this point they're like okay so they call the police police and two officers police officers come and search the house and they even pull their guns at one point but they don't find anything i don't know what they're looking for like i don't know right. what the police would do but one of them who believed in spirits told joan rush if these things keep happening you're probably going to need more help than the police department so the Rushes, is like not sure what they're supposed to do they begin putting their kids to bed and when they tuck in their 14 year old daughter tina all the weird activity completely stops The next day, all the chaos starts up again. The Rush's grandson comes to visit. And while he's there, he watches a chair chase Tina around the living room, like roll, like flips on its side and rolls after her while she's running away. There are candles flying, pictures on the walls falling off and rocking on the walls, um... John's feeding one of their infant foster children in her high chair and the chair starts to move by itself and he can't keep it in one place. So how 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 wh- how why are they trying to live their normal
1: lives with things like as soon as anything started coming after any of my children Mm -hmm. it'd be like hotel six you get out let's go visit grandma and
0: something you know what's the weird thing is they get to a point at one point in one of the stories where like the parents left but apparently all the kids were still in that wait what year is this this was 1984 okay i thought it was the 80s okay 84 so um you know at like this continues to happen and this is only the second day, right? It started on Saturday. This is Sunday. Um, Tina gets shoved out of her chair and thrown onto the floor by something that she doesn't see. Um, Glasses start getting thrown across one of the rooms and within a few hours, it said the whole room was filled with broken glass. Um, And so, you know, it's all going crazy. Tina decides she's going to go out for a walk just to get a break. And then everything stops. Um, the day after that, the children's services from Franklin County come and take the foster children out because they've been contacted oh, yeah. about all this and they're like, yeah, we can't provide a safe environment right now. So, um, they thank God take the foster children out of the house. Um, Joan Rush calls departments at the Ohio State University looking for help, but she kind of gets a run around. Nobody really knows what to do for her. And so that's when she calls this newspaper man, Mike Harden, that had interviewed her the year before. Um, and I guess they had they had like struck up a rapport, and they were he respected them. And so when he hears the story from them, he's like, "You are not the people that I would expect this kind of shit from," you know. Mm-hmm. So he's called William Roll at this point to ask him to come take a look at Tina specifically because she's the common link in all of these weird happenings. Um, Tina was adopted by the rushes when she was 10 months old. She had been abandoned by her mother, um, at a hospital. And according to an unsolved mysteries episode about all this stuff, she was diagnosed as hyperactive and put on Ritalin at age eight. Um, teachers told her parents, she got in, in trouble at school a lot and the teachers would tell her parents that she's constantly throwing things, um, she is picked on by other students and it just gets worse as she gets older so one source said she would just like she would just randomly blurt out profanities during class and she would constantly get in trouble um and because that the other kids always picked on her the reshes finally took her out of homeschool because you know there was no point she was just she was getting in suspension all the time um and plus at this point like some of the other students actually tied her up one day on the playground and like spent the entire recess taunting her so they were just like yeah no you're not gonna stay here poor heart i know girl it It sounds like she had
1: Tourette's
0: or yeah it looked like at one point later on in the yeah later on in the Mm -hmm. like research and everything it looks like she was diagnosed with Tourette's um but uh so despite their reputation the rushes would later be under allegations of being abusive towards tina also Hmm. um so it was said that i mean they were they were strict parents but it sounded like the strictness went like beyond just Mm -hmm. even just spankings and stuff like that which i think some people would consider abuse but like it it went further towards Mm -hmm. you know too much physical stuff and um they would lock her in closets when she didn't uh, just, no. you know behave stuff like that no and she they was sound also- like horrible foster parents actually yeah. And she was also assaulted by one of her brothers in her new home and everything. So it's just a whole big old mess. Um, So, like, initially, it's kind of a relief for Tina to be taken out of school because she's not being harassed by her classmates anymore. Mm -hmm. But um, now she's cooped up with her family all the time with Mm no way to, you know, get away from anybody. She's inside all the time. And um, so being cooped up with these people that aren't very kind to her to begin with it becomes its own problem. And one source says that all the trouble that started on March 1st started because Tina was having a fight with her parents and she had been threatened with a whipping and she grabbed a knife and that's when the clock mm-hmm. started to race. Mm-hmm. So when the rushes ask um Mike Harden the reporter to come into their house to see for himself what's happening he he brings a photographer fred shannon and um all the action that he sees in the house is centered on tina he watches like a mug of hot coffee dump off in her like jump off a table and dump onto her lap he watches all four kitchen chairs shoot out from the table like at different directions while she's standing there um he watches and fred shannon photos as a phone receiver jumps off the table to tina's left when she's sitting in a chair and flies across her lap and there's a famous photo that fred shannon takes that gets put into the newspaper and picked up by the national wire of this this girl with the phone that jumps across her lap without her touching it so she becomes an overnight celebrity um Like I said, it got picked up by the national news. All of a sudden overnight, everybody is talking about this kid and it's also four years after poltergeist came out
1: Mm
0: -hmm. so like you know we've you know we always say over and over again about the 80s like we are obsessed with the paranormal we're obsessed with demonology we're obsessed with you know all this kind of stuff is just right on native american
1: graveyards everything's
0: on a burial Mm -hmm. ground yes (laughs) so you know the news just grabs this and flies with it Um, So in the week between when Mike Harden calls William Roll and when Roll arrives in Columbus to meet Tina, there have been press conferences, there have been like demands by researchers, some of them legit, some of them like magicians to examine the <laughs> child i know there's this guy called pull my finger <laughs> there was this guy called like the amazing randy <laughs> was oh, like, The amazing like, randy. Came with a cape. and his whole thing was that he would like <laughs> that he would debunk <laughs> mysteries like this and they wouldn't let him <laughs> in because why would you yeah so all these people are just like camping out in their house all of a sudden to get footage of this amazing (laughs) kid and her you know feats of whatever so some people report they'd see um eggs flying through a closed fridge door and smashing on the wall um a cleveland reporter saw a cup sail across the room a columbus reporter saw a salt shaker fall to the floor and then slide across hit the baseboard and climb find feet up the wall and like the it climbed <laughs> like it slid so like the base I'm of it amazed. hit the wall and then it went so they've got all these camera crews all eyes on tina 24 hours a day it feels like to her uh, when when they're when they've got their cameras on nothing seems to happen of course, right? Mm-hmm. This happened with Enfield too, I think. Um, and people who are you know, looking for a news scoop are starting to get pissed and they're not going to leave. And so all of a sudden a lamp falls to the floor and you know, everybody's like, oh, that's it. And one of the <laughs> camera crews catches the footage of it happening. So they run back to the studio and they're going to review it for the 11 o'clock news. And when they review it, they see Tina look around, grab the lamp by the cord, yank it off the table and then jump back and yell like it surprised her. And that's the story they run with for the 11 o'clock news. This kid is a cheat. She took everybody, you know, she's, she's just trying to get attention. Mm -hmm. Um, And the next day, Tina actually says like, she did it because she wanted the crews to leave. She's like, they've been Mm -hmm. in my house all day. I had no interest in this. The only way to satisfy them was to have something happen. So I made something happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So all the newspapers suddenly start carrying, what do they call it? Like, um, Poltergate, because it was, you know, it's like the fake poltergeist. Um <laughs> Poltergate. And this part had happened right before William Roll got to Columbus, but it didn't stop him from wanting to to study this kid. So he explains to the parents that like poltergeists, we've talked about this before with the Serency haunting and all kinds of other things, that poltergeists aren't spirits, that they're the human mind at work, and that um he had been studying. 26 years poltergeists and um he called it the the product of recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis rspk is what he called the the mental you know or paranormal mm-hmm. phenomenon that caused poltergeist stuff um, that involuntarily the person's emotions cause things to fly around. And he said, it's, you know, like we've said before, it's often associated with adolescents like Tina who are under a lot of stress. So Mm -hmm. they happen to have extra rooms right now because all their foster kids have been taken away. And, um, so Mm -hmm. they say, okay, well, if you want to study her, come and move into our house and study her. So Roll stays at the Rush's house for three weeks. Um, and then he asks if he can bring her to North Carolina to study her um, at his foundation labs. And according to the out of magazine, Tina was overjoyed at this opportunity because she said her father had stopped speaking to her. Her mom argued with her all the time. And she was like, he was saving me from drowning here by offering Ooh. me a way out of this house. Like, she's 14. So he has brain scans done on her. He has her do psychokinetic testing, whatever that entails, at his labs in North Carolina. Can you move <clears throat> this pencil? Yeah, I guess so. Like, move this pencil. Bend the spoon. <laughs> <I'm> Try. <trying>. Um, <laughs> right, bend the spoon. <laughs> but, but so a clinical psychologist who worked with Tina during the weeks that she was at his lab said that, um, agreed that the kid had RSPK as well as extrasensory abilities so this woman's name was Rebecca Zinn she's 35 years old she said she had seen things move in Tina's presence like all these other people had to but she she also said that at one point Tina was standing with her back to a bookcase that she had never seen before and started rapidly reciting the titles of the books on the shelf and she got through 10 or 12 titles before she stopped which she kind of felt well maybe she can read things that she can't see, you know, maybe she's mm-hmm. a mind reader. Um, and Jeannie Lagel who was a psychiatrist who worked with Tina during that time told the out that you just, that she was just floored by what this kid was capable of. Like they, had, they hadn't seen anybody like her before. Um, there were some follow up articles in the newspapers in june of 1984 and tina claims that she also discovered that she had healing powers while she was in north carolina which was proven she said by her quick recovery from a broken leg when she fell off her bike um she she sounds in these june articles like she's super optimistic like like this time with these doctors it's i mean think about it like she's been picked on And, you know, punished validation her entire life. And now all of a sudden she's the most important person in the room to these people. Like they're telling Mm -hmm. her how special she is. And, you know, so, you know, she goes back and she feels way, way better, you know, and she also feels like she's given some control over some circumstances. She talks about it like the X-Men kids, Mm -hmm. like Xavier's going to teach me how to hone my powers kind of shit. She wants to use her powers for good. She goes to attend a workshop on a scholarship at the Patricia Hayes School of Inner Sense Development, which is in Georgia and continues to be in Georgia. Oh, Um, wow. This shit's all over the South, apparently. Inner Um, Sense Development. Yes, Inner Sense Development. And I guess a lot of that is training for psychics. Yes. But things are going so well that she goes back to public school. And the problem is the news stories that called her experience a hoax...
1: Mm-hmm. are now
0: like fodder for all these classmates that already hated her right and already mm-hmm. treated her like shit so she had people walk by every time they walked by her in the classroom they would hum the twilight zone theme at her um they people would just kind of constantly pick at her they wouldn't just let her be and leave her alone mm-hmm. they were always at the worst yeah mm-hmm. especially at that age like so she would have been mm-hmm. still 14 at, you know or yeah. maybe 15 but- by now yeah <clears throat> They She had people push her downstairs at school um, and they told her that they were afraid of, they couldn't be friends with her because they were afraid of her. And she was like, do you not think that this is scary for me? Like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know. You know, if it's mm-hmm. scary for you, what do you think it feels like for me? Um, <clears throat> and when she is 16, the rushes decide, this is funny because, okay, it's not funny. But this story I thought was just the story of this telekinetic kid. And then it was like there's a whole other story in here as like you continue to go down this kid's path. So when she's have 16, pterodactyls in it. There's no pterodactyls. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is oh there's crime and mystery. Um so when she turns 16, the rushes decide to sell their house and move and they tell Tina that she is not coming with them. Yeah. They are tired of being ridiculed by their neighbors for all of this. What they now uh, look at as a hoax. Are they tired of being the victim? They're tired of being the victim. They're tired of being, you know, of being, you know, subject to her behavior. And Ugh. so they leave the 16-year-old child to Obviously, she's herself. ruining their reputation. Clearly. You know. And um, so she realizes the only way she's going to manage now is to marry her boyfriend, James Bennett. Um, because there's like a truancy issue already so the, the court's already telling her like you either go to juvie or you get married like you have there's nothing else you don't have choices what the fuck so um they elope he is abusive of course here's the cycle um he beats her he steals from her at one point like he burns her clothes to keep her from leaving him and she jumps out a second story window Mm. and runs through the snow in bare feet and i was like wait the snow damn when in georgia was this but um you know he she's she's like she runs around in bare feet in a t-shirt and he eventually catches her and brings her back home like it's Mm. that kind of relationship Mm. this poor 16 year old kid um she gets pregnant she divorces him She wants the baby to have a father. So she remarries a guy named Larry Boyer. Um, He is also abusive. One night he beats her unconscious. She has him arrested. Um, Her baby Amber is about three years old at this time. And Tina, who is now Christina Boyer, um, calls the only person who she has ever been able to rely on. And that's William Roll. Um, He tells her, pack your bags, bring yourself, bring your baby. You're going to stay with us. Um, he and uh, Lagel, the psychiatrist who was impressed with her abilities and everything, um, they had moved together to Carroll County, Georgia, close to the university down there. And um, so he, he's like, just you come, you stay with us. And so they start giving her kind of parenting tips. Um, she starts taking nursing classes. She, um, let's see, she takes computer classes at the university And Legal and Roll give her a job typing notes at their office. Um, She gets an apartment in Carrollton. Everything's looking up. Things are going really well. And she starts dating this, um, there's a divorced truck driver named um, David Heron that she starts dating Has a kid about Amber's age. So everything's looking really good. Um, And then one day, like Amber isn't feeling well when Tina has to go to work. So she asks heron if he can keep her while she goes into the office to type more more notes and it's april 13th 1992 when tina gets to heron's place to pick amber up the child is unresponsive Mm -hmm. um and they they take her to the hospital she's pronounced dead at the hospital (gasps) oh my god there's bruising on her face and body (gasps) police immediately arrest david heron and then shortly after they interview and arrest tina also Um, so Amber's autopsy shows that she died of blunt force trauma. Not (sighs) all her, not all her injuries were new. Um, David Heron uh, it also showed that she had been molested. And it sounded like in the legal (sighs) paperwork later that may have not been true. Um I couldn't tell. Um, but David Heron maintained his innocence at first and then said he'd seen Tina hit Amber. Um, eventually he told police that he had molested and beaten the child and mm. tina consistently tina you don't need a man i know Sorry. Poor th- Sorry. but think oh my god think about it's just shit right oh, this no. Oh, no. So, tina consistently maintains her innocence consistently tells the exact same story and this guy switches it around constantly and says he beat her and says and was the person who had her in his care all day that day um but they're both like arrested and awaiting trial now so, once again, Tina is the middle of a media storm. The AJC calls her the telekinetic mom in its coverage of the crime. Um, the entire town of Carrollton hates her before Ooh. she even has an opportunity to say her piece at trial. They, she is the scum of the earth to them. Like The media reports... Dozens of calls had been made to child welfare at different times claiming that Tina was abusive. They say that they find a video of her dancing topless at a neighbor's house. I mean, and these are things that are true, but there were, um, there were circumstances surrounding them. there were tons of calls to, um, to child welfare, welfare, complaining about her treatment of her child. They were all from her ex-husband who was Mm -hmm. trying to control her life Mm -hmm. and punish her for leaving him. And Mm -hmm. all of them had been researched and all of them had checked out fine. Right. But that's not what showed up in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. So this, this poor thing, she waited in jail for a trial date for two and a half fucking years. She was in jail without a trial for two and a half years. William Roll was the one person who advocated for her while she was in jail um the system just completely failed her she received no care for illnesses she got the flu nobody did anything for her she got no no care for dental problems she was depressed nobody treated her um she complained that she was mistreated in jail and so everything that she ever did get, he finally, it was because William Roll lobbied for her, like mm-hmm. without fail, just constantly calling and forcing them to check on her and to treat her. Um, so they gave the lawyer that the state provided only visited her four times over the two and a half years that she awaited trial. He logged 126 hours on the case. He invoiced the state for almost $7,000, and he only visited her four times in two and a half years and on top of that right before her court date she passed a polygraph test but then this guy came to her this lawyer came to her and said that if she went to trial she would be convicted and she would go to the chair so he told her that the only way she could stay alive was to take an alfred plea what the f- but right this isn't going to the chair they had mm-hmm. no solid evidence it was a mess and this guy said you have to take an alford plea which is a plea that allows mm-hmm. it's a weird supreme court shit like from 1970 that they mm-hmm. you can take an alford plea and it basically like you say i didn't guilty. do this like- you maintain yeah. your innocence but you plead guilty
2: mm-hmm.
0: to avoid yeah exactly courtney like to avoid you have punishment. to, and part
2: of it is so you can't sue too. They get mm-hmm. people out of prison on Alfred Please who that they know they um wrongfully imprisoned and yeah, make them say you know, it's it happened s- to the Memphis, it happened to the yeah, the ones it, in, and it also is part of a the staircase anyway.
0: That is some fucking bullshit. Is it not? And so this so she she decided because this is the only advice she's getting. And then he says, you're gonna you're gonna die if you don't plead guilty under the Alfred plea. So that's what she does. And I she gets there's out. a
1: special place in hell for people like oh, that. Oh, I know, I know. Sorry.
0: And she she gets a life sentence plus 20 years. <gasps> she is 25 <gasps> years
1: old. Fuckers.
0: 25 years old at this point. And at the same so okay, she gets convicted, and the state tries and convicts David Heron too, not for murder, not for assault, but for cruelty to children. And the guy, this guy, who was actually with the child when she died, who admitted to beating her and molesting her, got 20 years in prison and went out on parole in 2011. And Tina was called to testify. And the lawyers during his trial, like, used her history as a telekinetic teen to mock her while she was on the stand. Like it is absolute bullshit the way this woman was treated by the justice system so well treated um, by fucking everybody by everybody right except for william roll except for william and legal like and unfortunately he has passed away now but he advocated for her every step of the way up until he died he advocated for her and he wrote a book um it was called unleashed of poltergeist and murder i think is the name of the book and i'll leave a um a link to it of course so you can get it on amazon that tells like his side of her whole teen years stuff but also tells like it really it's like she didn't do this you know the book is like his defense of her i
1: was gonna say is this the book you ordered or
0: no the That's book that i ordered was not. for a whole other story hopefully <laughs> no. i'll get it so i can do it next week but um so anyway most, uh, there have been a bunch of people who have tried to get boyer's case um tina boyer's case reopened um there are clear missteps as we can see through and i mean i haven't even touched on the things that were wrong in the whole process of her being convicted and and sentenced um and investigated um, so there, there are issues in the entire proceeding, justice proceeding, and every time they get close to like making a move to, uh, you know, reopen or overturn, something happens. So one of the lawyers that had been hired uh, was arrested himself before he could make any movements. Um, another of the lawyers made massive strides towards um, like getting her parole or getting her exoneration, but suddenly he died of a heart attack. And they didn't ever get access to the records that he had. Um, So in 2017, Boyer once again was refused parole. She did attempt suicide. She did not succeed. Um, She has never been allowed to see her daughter's grave site. Mm. And there is a group now that is working on not just parole, but a full exoneration for Christina Boyer. She is still in jail. Um, and i'll drop the link to the atavist article that you've got to read i mean you really have to read the entire thing it's it's just but um so that guy
1: that wrote the book about her Mm -hmm. should be given that book's
0: money to her Mm -hmm. oh he i'm sure he i I, i'm not sure he is but i imagine he probably did like i said he's passed away now yeah um, still yeah but uh there is also and i'll i'll leave a link to this too uh, a free tina rush boyer facebook group that you can join um to get updates on her case and to see like it it's possible that letters i i don't know what what helps at this point but you know she is part of an exoneration project right now and hopefully there will be some progress um i think she's 50 now Oh um, god bless her. And it would be great if she wasn't in jail anymore. So yeah. Yeah. And Tina men aren't worth it. No. no. Oh, oh, I'm so. sure she, I'm sure she knows that now. <laughs> Team yeah. Tina. Team Tina. Team Tina. <laughs> So, yeah, anyway, that took a dark turn, and it was Ooh. it was originally just going to be a fun story about a crazy teenage telekinetic Poltergoss, and here we are. And here we are back at, like, everything oh, sucks. Sorry, yeah. I do this all the time, y'all. But no, that one no, jumped out really. on me. I was not don't prepared for that. Let let her off <laughs> of
2: this. I thought we were going to have a cool
0: story. Well, Patrice, <laughs> Patrice has something fun for the after show, so you can... <laughs> i'll have to get another drink for that wow that was an amazing
1: tale and heart-wrenching and just fucking pisses me off
0: yeah just me too so everything mad. is broken everything. anyway is broken <laughs> so well on that note yay <laughs> eat
2: your brandy peaches you'll feel eat better your br-
1: Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Thank y'all so much for listening. Thank you guys. It was a fun show. Thank even you. though it was a downer at the end.
0: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> did you go on the Facebook page? Did you I did and I asked to join. You have to write what drew your interest to the story. So I just mm. said well, that I was so doing this gracious. show and oh, that God. I was fascinated by it and um yes. you know wanted to wanted to hear some good news, maybe. Some of it there are some notes that she writes to like supporters and stuff that are on the mm-hmm. facebook page that you can read which is encouraging and it's just good to hear that you know that she's she's still you know right. fighting so bless her heart yep
1: i'm exhausted for her and i, yeah. I, have, I have no that's just awful Mm-hmm
0: all right <laughs> oh sorry guys was all, all right. right so
1: thank y'all for listening starting of season 5.2 <laughs> and we'll see you next week for season five point <laughs> oh
2: episode 69
0: yeah Ooh. Ooh. i really be. really hope that book comes in
2: Perfect. cherries <laughs> let me just say cherries cherries oh, oh tune in. <laughs> right. thanks y'all bye <laughs> bye, bye.
0: <laughs> oh goodness